Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Struggle Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today, I'm kind of not your host, actually. And it's kind of like Mike Isretel might be your host. Mike is on the show. He's asking me a bunch of questions about my contest prep, about my off-season, my experiences, what I'm doing to get great sleep at the moment. And we dive into that. I think it was a fun chat. Kind of weird being interviewed by Mike, but it was a good, good chat. And if you're interested on the real details behind my contest prep, be sure to check out the vlogs on the YouTube. And also there's more in-depth vlogs on the members site and bunch of presentations in the members site too, where we talk about the intricacies of contest prep. So if you'd like to learn more about possibly competing, the ins and outs of that, definitely, definitely sign up to our member site. But let's get into the chat, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today we have Dr. Mike back on the show. And this is going to be a bit of a interesting episode or a different episode because you're very much used to me asking Mike all the questions. But Mike wanted to ask me some questions. So I'm kind of uh, nervous because I think he's going to make me look like a fool right now. But no, I'm I'm joking. Uh, hopefully this is interesting for the audience and I'm sure we're going to have a, it's always a great dynamic and I'm just excited to chat and see what you have to ask actually, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready? Let's go. Right. <laughs> Quick I think fire. I have something, yeah, something like maybe up to about 14 questions some of them are broken down into parts first question is who do you think you are <laughs> steve you know i'm just kidding that's not really a question all right question number one mr steve hall is first of all um congratulations on your recent show victory this is oh, yeah, what sparked you. my uh interest in interviewing you and uh was this your first show that you've ever won so I competed, uh, yes, first show I ever won. Uh, and to be clear, it was a qualifier. So I always have to like, it, just, show. It, 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 yeah, to be fair, it's a show. And I didn't win the overall. However, I do think I was contesting for the overall because I was in the middle for okay. a while, which is quite okay. cool, like just to think, yeah, yeah. That, not an overall. Um, and then you do feel like you've got a bit of a bit more credence because it's the best of the best, at least that show. Sure, uh, sure. But yeah, I, I was, it's the first show I've won. Um, like 2014 was the first time I competed and my first show was a novice. And I think I came second last in that novice show. So yeah, it's, it was kind of crazy to then come to this one and actually take a win. So yeah, that was the, the first win I've had. Yeah. How did it feel? Did it feel uh, different than usual? Uh, you're not used to winning. How did winning feel? It was a weird sensation because when they were announcing that it was really close between the top three, basically, all of us apparently had first placings by one of the judges. And then it was particularly close between the first two. So when third place got called out, I've never even come second, Mike. So I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, I think I've got second here. That's awesome. And so they we were told it was like the head judge's decision, essentially. And it was that close between both of us. Uh, the guy that came second to me, like outstanding physique. And I think from what I know, the head judge said I took it from the back, <laughs> which is funny because they say you win shows from the back. I think I was just a bit more tighter, uh, more conditioned and maybe had a stronger back pose. Uh, but the other guy, crazy shape, like looked fantastic. And I was like, you probably got this. I was just like, if it, I, I've never had a split decision go my way before. So then when he got called mm -hmm. out second, it it was like, I don't know, you see contestants who kind of 
ball up and they get like a bit like emotional about it. And I'd never really quite understood it until it happened to me. And I was like, man, I'm actually like crying a little bit here. This is <laughs> like the culmination of so many years of effort and hard work to then get that it was just like very rewarding. So it was kind of surreal and it felt it, in some ways, I wish it didn't feel as good as it did because of course we will do this because we want to win but I also know that you're not always going to and it depends who turns up on the day and you should just ultimately want to bring your best, which I did. And so in some ways I'm like, oh, I wish winning feels so good because now I'm kind of really wanting to win more. <laughs> sure, sure. That's so yeah, it felt, it felt like very different to, like I'd been happy with previous performances, but not not to this the same degree. Did you feel an increased sense of belonging and bodybuilding by any chance after winning? I definitely felt that when I won my first show. It was kind of like, oh, like I really am a bodybuilder. I'm not just a guy who shows up to bodybuilding shows to do them. And everyone's like, what's that guy here for? Well, do you have any sensations of that sort of thing? More genuine, even not in bodybuilding contests, but in your podcasting and your client work. Now that you've won a show, it's kind of like, oh, like I know things. Things work. It's really, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, actually a surprising amount of just kind of self-belief pumped back into me in that I'd always consider myself like, I don't know, just someone who, I, I don't, just a, someone to make up numbers almost, just like I enjoy this sport and I'm kind of more of a spectator and more of a coach and that's my skill set. I'm not really like competitive at this. But yeah, and then I felt like, oh, actually, like even to have had the head judge pick me almost although it would have been nice to have just slaughtered everyone, but to know that I was, it was that close and I still got picked before someone who else, who he actually just went and won another show, like the British final lightweight uh, title. So he just went and won that. So he's, he was very good. And yeah, so it definitely gave me a bit more of a sense of belonging. And again, this is one of those things. And I, I wonder, probably you felt this and I particularly probably Jared has felt this. And I think ultimately it's a very good thing are hopefully myself considered as well, but it's obviously makes people think more of you and you get more attention and it can be great for business, uh, great for bringing on more clients and having more competitive clients, maybe better paying clients, uh, which is fantastic. But ultimately it's like, why did it have to take that? But sometimes it does uh, to have that notoriety. Uh, and obviously being an IFBB pro is not really comparable to me willing a qualifier show, but in some ways it, it gives that allure to people in some ways. It is a win. How long ago did you first start prepping for this show? Like distinctly for this show or for this grouping of shows? So I started like prep prep uh, in the end of May, I believe. Yeah. So it hasn't actually May. been that long, long. So that means you prepped for May, June, June, July, July, August, August, September. When did you do your show? So the show was... was now six weeks ago, end of this week, six weeks ago. So really you prepped for what, basically three months, three and a half, something like that? Yeah, it wasn't that long. Uh, I didn't really... weeks or something? Yeah, like in terms of like diet fatigue, didn't really feel that much until after that show <laughs> and then everything started building up but to the lead up sure. to that it, it really and the show you did a show just before that didn't you uh, uh yeah i think i did it was one i just kind of like it was a decent timing for me and i just entered it on the fly two weeks before hmm. and that show didn't go your way 
that one I came third, but that again, it's it was a great example of it depends who turns up on the day because the two guys that I went up against uh, have gone on to win one one an overall, and he's actually was in the like short class, and I don't know shorter competitors don't tend to it's normally the heavyweight and the taller guys who tend to sure, take it, sure, but sure. he's incredible, so he won an overall, and the other guy just went actually the same British finals. And I think he came second to the guy that won the overall of that entire wow, thing. Okay. So it was like a very competitive class. Not to say like I still came third to those guys, but they were very good. Um, what did your periodization look like for this this group of shows or really for the specific one that you just won? What is your what does your diet plan look like? Did you plan out? Uh, any high days and low days? Was it just all adjustments week to week? How did you plan that whole thing out generally? So the general view looked like kind of in line with my accumulation of training, which would be a five to one paradigm. Uh, I'm still holding on to a five to one paradigm. In that deload week, I would take a diet break up to maintenance calories. I think the first one I may have only done for four days at maintenance and took the first half of it still in a deficit or a smaller deficit because my training volume was lower and I was deloading, so less active. Uh, and then from there on, every deload has actually coincided with a show almost. So it's kind of been peak weeks. Like this week is a overeat. Well, it was like kind of an overreaching week last week, week five, deloading this week in line with my peak week this week. And so was the one. That's why the last one was like almost six weeks ago. So it's and kind you're of doing another show. Yeah, I've got a show this Saturday. And that's the last show of your season? It's no. the one that I qualified for in the, wow. the six weeks ago. Uh, and then there is one two weeks after this one and then one another week after. And then it depends if I end up qualifying for Worlds. I could be in Las Vegas <laughs> when you're not there, Mike, which is crazy. And what upsetting. date would that be? <laughs> that would be the 20th of November, I think. See if we can make it out to Vegas. All right. All right. So I, I, um, I was just going to say, I have used something different was refeed days this time around. I wanted to experiment uh, with them because I didn't use them last contest prep and I haven't really ever used them for myself in extended dieting periods. And How many refeed days in a row were you doing? So I only started including those, I think, in the to my first show where I took two in a row to peak for that show as like a just let's fill up a little bit to look a bit fuller and uh, a bit more relaxed. And I deloaded for a couple of days leading into that kind of like uh, warm up show as it were. So then Two I started- days before you stepped on stage. You yeah. How much? Uh, so I came up to like an estimated maintenance, which was just under 500 grams of carbs, uh, which is like 200 protein, 50 fat, I think. So mm-hmm. in around that amount. What impact did that have on your physique? It just allowed it to look a little bit more alive and that helped it look a little bit more conditioned as well. Uh, my scale weight actually came down, I believe, which is not that always happens co- a lot. Yeah, I think it was just some stress drop off uh, from having more carbs and uh, deloading for a couple of days, letting some of that stress drop off. So yeah, it just allowed condition to show a bit more and also be fuller in the muscles to have to store some more glycogen so i'm not kind of looking as drawn out but i haven't actually looked too flat the entire prep 
because my carbs haven't really dropped. I haven't dropped below 250 grams on like a low day, which is pretty high for me compared to previous times. What was your ratio of lower to higher days during your, the average time of prep or week? Uh, two to five. Two low days to five high Sorry. days. Sorry, no, 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 five to two. <laughs> Let me, yeah. Okay, okay. It's the five two five diet. Five low days, two high. Okay, very good, very good, very good. Okay, and roughly what were the macros on those high days and low days respectively? So on average, like protein and fat were pretty stable at like 250 grams of uh, 200 protein, 50 grams of fat. And then mm -hmm. carbs were between 250 to 300 on low and then around 500 on my high. Very cool. Very cool. All right. And did you feel like those high days really kind of revived you a little bit? No pun intended. They actually did. Uh, I can see. And it, I mean, when you really think about it, two days of eating at maintenance, you can kind of see why. I mean, it feels good. It's nice to eat more. Uh, and I just ate more of my kind of diet foods really, uh, without mm -hmm. letting my fiber get too high. Cause, cause my carbs are already quite high. It's kind of easy to let fiber get out of control. If I had more than like 50 grams of fiber, my gut would just start being like, nah, you shouldn't be doing that. So maybe okay. I just included a bit more kind of rice on the side of meals or things like that. Um, nothing we could call junk food. No, nothing super palatable. The most palatable thing is like, protein oats that I've been having and a bit of dark chocolate, <laughs> which is still like a massive okay. treat. <laughs> sure, sure. Did you have any uh, different uh, approaches as far as food selection for this particular prep? Like, did you experiment with any foods that you thought, ah, this is kind of stupid? Did you have any go-to foods? You're like, oh, this is smart. Like, I'm going to keep using this uh, for a while. What do you think? So I definitely took into consideration kind of the hedonic staircase that you've spoken about. And I, I walked down that essentially or up it, down it, whichever way, away from palatable foods to less palatable and more kind of satiating foods. So mm -hmm. like my post-workout was looking like a protein shake with like kid cereal at the start and maybe a piece of fruit. And then that transitioned to like a whole grain cereal. And then it went to egg whites and boiled potatoes and some vegetables, which is what I essentially have now. So yeah. definitely been using that. And oats are a huge one for me. I just really enjoy them and that you can make them quite thick and I make protein oats. So I've been using those and like berries and fruits and like just not the thing that's different this time around is I've been going less for those diet hacks, which I did do last time. So I would be doing like cauliflower oats and like cauliflower pizza and Walden farms. And I'd have a lot of chewing gum and loads of diet drinks, high amounts of caffeine and it's all kind of, I don't know, energy seeking behavior where you're just like, a, mm -hmm. your body's dying here. It's trying to get energy from something. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, these are calorie free or whatever. But it, it just, I think that amount of sweeteners and just having, I don't know if you've had, a, had it, Mike, where you have so much of the like artificial taste in your mouth. You're just like, I just feel like, don't feel good from this. It's weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, so that's really helped kind of just accepting hunger a little bit and being like, this is all mm -hmm. right. So that was a big takeaway for me. That actually transitioned to my next question. How was your hunger in general compared to other preps? Better, for sure. Uh, like I said, actually, leading into the, the first couple of shows, I was enjoying being in prep, like really enjoying it versus like peak off season where I was force feeding. I was like, I would completely take what I've got now over force feeding. It kind of felt good to be a little bit hungry for meals. So only really my hunger 
got marginally challenging over the last kind of couple of weeks where I was like, yeah, I'm distinctly hungry and uh, not true and true physiological hunger. I'm not even sure more just like a bit more cravy, like, oh, kind of pizza sounds good now. Like before when I heard pizza, I was always just like, eh. whereas now I'm like, oh, yeah, it sounds much more reasonable. Was privy to a mass phase blunder, you could say. <laughs> When I was in Las Vegas, Jared was at the peak of his mass, and he had his brother Travis over to visit his great guys. As, um, a guy, he's he trains for hypertrophy as well. And uh, they got a uh, Little Caesars. Do you guys have Little Caesars in the UK? We don't. That's for the best. You're not missing anything. Hell. <laughs> it's just total shit pizza. Okay. It's the, the worst of all the fast food pizzas. And uh, they got, it's called Hot and Ready. Like in the States, you literally show up. And if it's cheese or pepperoni, they literally just have it already. You just walk out with <laughs> it, it's $5 or something, and you leave. And they got it, and it was soaked. Like the bottom of the pizza uh, container was soaked through completely with oil. And they ate like two or three slices each, and they just stared at it. They're like, do you guys want this? And I was like, no. And they just like looked at it and tried to give it away to a bunch of people, and no one wanted it. And they just threw it away. They were like, I didn't even know what we were thinking getting this. <laughs> seemed oh, like pizza at the time so I, I definitely know what you feel about at some point it's actually better to, to kind of do the show diet you feel like oh i like food again yeah. this is kind of cool yeah um strength how has your rep strength been talk us through the whole prep beginning of prep middle of prep now how has your strength hung in and how has your training been in general really good uh surprisingly good actually I always just, I know in previous preps, I've always kind of really diminished towards the end and just numbers are just falling off left, right and center. And I think that shows in the physique a little bit as well <laughs> with like, obviously if you're dropping performance week to week, you're probably sacrificing the thing that keeps performance around. So my actual like things like uh, hack squats uh, are one of the, there's basically, there's only a couple of lifts where I've dropped performance from peak off season levels to now which to me is like wow. mind-blowing compared to previous times. I think there's been loads of contributing factors uh, towards that. But I think a, a really big one is just working with a, a better volume <laughs> and not chasing, trying to do more work, like treating my like a, an off-season macro cycle to now where my starting volumes are very similar, <laughs> but my ending ones are basically like half what uh, my kind of off-season numbers would be. It, MRV came way, way down. And I've just respected that much more rather than being yes. like, I need to do more. I need to do more. If muscle needs to hang around, I have to hold on to more volume. Whereas I've more so prioritized the performance I've got with the sets that I'm doing. And so if it's just two sets for the whole mesa cycle of hack squats, fine. <laughs> like I, I'm fine if I'm holding performance for that. So yeah, I think it was just the, I was doing deficit barbell bent over rows. Those started I could just tell my technique was starting to get a bit more momentum uh, and driving that. So I just rotated those out for a dumbbell variation and they've been back in and progressing nicely. And then uh, I can't think if there was another lift that I removed. That might be the only lift that I really removed. Everything else, I, for the most part, kept quite static and almost to the mm. point of being a bit stubborn so that I can see that I'm maintaining performance because I'm like, at least I have a key marker of if, performance is maintaining i can be pretty certain that muscle is sticking around whereas if i was changing too many variables i felt like maybe i'm just like teeth like i don't know being a bit ignorant to the performance loss that i've 
possibly got here and like the novelty and things feel good but maybe they're not making up for just knowing that i'm kind of mentally and i think it is that's a big part of it is like a lot of it's just a mental battle the muscle can still do it it's just can you mentally get it to do the work that it yeah. needs to do so yeah definitely use that but i've used obviously some of the kind of periodization principles of in my eyes keeping sfr basically in the best place possible so i picked a lot of movements for my training so that i knew i'd be able to hold on to those for a long period of time so like a machine yes. plate loaded press versus like a barbell bench press which i know would beat me up after a while uh, the hack squat versus like a barbell back squat which i know would kind of just feel really weird and wonky when i got as skinny as i'm getting uh so that's really helped as well being a bit more careful with those and then using things like um i'll do down sets more often so maybe i have one top set where i'm like monitoring that performance and that's holding but these down sets are allowing me to accumulate a little bit more uh preferable stimulus to fatigue ratios yeah and that's that's helped a lot the bent row tends to suffer sometimes during prep because you're gut is getting physically smaller and like if you reduce your gut size by an inch which is totally reasonable on prep maybe even more i mean you think about you're adding an inch of range of motion so at the very hardest part of the lift which is the top yeah so like a lot of times bent row losses as long as they're not extreme don't actually reflect any strength losses at all it's just like oh well it's a different lift now yeah. uh so that's definitely a thing and on the sfr thing you know, uh, in off season, I think to make big moves and big changes to your muscularity, I think it sometimes makes sense to do a high, just raw stimulus magnitude exercises. Like I just need muscle on my backseat deadlift or something like that, because that'll slap the beef on. It just costs you a lot of fatigue, but on mass phase off season, you can hack it. It's okay. SFR is such an important concept, I think, pre-contest because you, your energy is so not expansive. It is very, very tight margin to put in all of your most effective training and that if you're not familiar with the stimulus to fatigue ratio at least intuitively gee, you know you can spend a lot of time accumulating a lot of fatigue and not really hitting the muscle much and if you think about it also maybe the last five or six weeks before a show if those aren't the best stimulus to fatigue ratio exercises you have available that you're using why aren't you using your best you know like that's really when they come in handy yeah uh so I think you're probably evidence of that in your last prep is that you, you want to make sure you really know which exercises fit you like a glove. They're the ones you're going to want to save for that last bit of prep because everything else is just too much fatigue or not enough stimulus. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Next up. Um, so here's a sort of a bit of a more expansive question. A lot of the, folks that get interviewed about their shows, no matter what their shows are, who they are, where they're from. And they do, let's say, very well compared to have done, having done not as well. Right? Let's say some guy places fifth in the Olympia and then he places second or he places first. Or he used to look like whatever, and now he's way bigger and more shredded. Um, in your case, you know, you have gone winless and now you have a show victory under your belt. So the temptation is a lot of times, and it's quite rational, to ask, oh, so what have you done differently? this prep but let me ask you a question it's two-parter one what have you done differently this prep than before but also do you think that that done differently question potentially hides the reality that at least some part of your success maybe most of it is due to just doing a lot of the same stuff but just the accumulation 
gets higher? Like if water finally flows over a bathtub and onto the bathroom, what was so special about the last five seconds? Nothing. It was exactly like the first five seconds. It's just the, the water just kept creeping up. So people say, like, oh, you look so great these last few years. It's like, well, motherfucker, I've been training the last few years. God damn it. I sure hope I look better than before. So what is as far as your difference in your appearance and your show placings, what would you assign to things you did differently? And then if you can expand on some of the things you really think that you did differently that helped and how much of that would you place to like, actually, is a lot of the same stuff. It just Finally, I got up to a development level where I'm good enough to win shows and good enough to look like this new uh, version of myself. What do you think? That makes sense. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. It makes so much sense. <laughs> so, so much sense. Uh, especially like unless you're like really at the start of your career or something you're really not sure what you're doing or maybe you've got a new coach that's kind of changed your perspective on things but for the far like i don't know since i have known you mike for about a year once i started to actually understand how to apply a lot of the principles of mm -hmm. hypertrophy training not much has really changed you look at my training not much has changed apart from i've understood my volume landmarks a bit better some of the biofeedback tools have really, really helped me. So maybe I'm doing a little bit less volume than I was before because it was kind of a discovery phase, but like the principles of what I'm applying, they're, they're no different. And they haven't changed in that ever since my 2017 prep and that off season period. That's where I grew the physique that I'm showing off now. That's where all the investment was made. That's what's changed my physique, not what I'm doing in this like short fat loss phase. And sure, there's a few quirky things that maybe I'm doing a bit better and a bit differently, but nothing that I wasn't applying in that off season. So like, there's no, there's definitely nothing major that I'm doing differently. Okay. Uh, Anything worth mentioning or, or not even? Not even's okay, by the way. If you're like, ah, whatever. It's just all I think, but if this is something I've emphasized ever since I knew more about it was sleep. That's definitely something that I've taken way more care over. I was way ignorant to sleep's importance before. It was just like rise and grind, got to get this shit done. If I want to stay up late, that's not a problem. Like sleep is just a thing. Whereas I know my sleep is like miles better this contest prep just, and I know that's had a big influence. Uh, and then the only other like thing that in the specific prep that's different is I am using a weighted vest, but that's not really mm. like, unless there is something, I don't know what your thought, thoughts are on it in terms of the gravito, gravito, Tostat, I don't know how to say it, Gravitosat, in terms of like the, the weight on the bones and the pressure on the osteocytes and how that could lead to an independent hunger drive management in, outside of leptin and fat cells. I, I don't know how much I buy into that completely, even having used it, but it has definitely kept my expenditure higher, no doubt about it, and it's going to. And it's been challenging at times and a bit of a, <laughs> it's definitely a pain in the back uh, for periods of time. Uh, but it's allowed me to diet on more food. But do I think that really made a big difference? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure about that. But that is definitely something that I've never applied before was the the weighted apparel. The weighted apparel is interesting because um, to me, it has a, a pretty uh, decent advantage just on paper. Forget about the hypothesis that the feedback for your weight can keep your body less hungry and, and more uh, sort of prone to burning fat. I think the, the big, you know, so it's obvious that you just burn more calories moving around with the fucking thing, which is good. My big takeaway from that is not theoretical. It's, um, I suppose on some level it is, 
it's practical and that, uh, you know, Jesus, like, okay, so let's say I'm going to use the way the best. How often do I use it? Do I have to keep track of how much time I'm using? Like, so for example, I don't even do formal cardio. I never do formal cardio, I only count steps. Just count them on my step tracker. By the way, it's uh, who the fuck makes this? Um, Get the Fitbit. Yeah, whatever. I'm sponsored. Yeah, are you really? <laughs> no. Oh, be sweet. Um, yeah, this is like the We Fit or whatever. It's like the, um, no, My Fit, MI Fit. It's some Chinese company. I don't know anyone exists. So um, the thing is with the step tracking, like, did you write down like what fraction of time you're wearing the vest? Um, is there sometimes you do, sometimes you don't? Does it do I wear it for a certain amount of time? Like, I see that right now. I don't think you have it on, or do you? No, no. So, a lot of times, if you can work it into your life, the vest is a great idea. But if it just causes you more heartache than anything, and be like, oh, fuck, am I wearing it enough? Do I have to keep track of how much time I'm wearing? It, blah, blah, blah. It starts to be like, well, like, I think if you're just tracking your steps, and that's probably going to do most of the thing for you anyway. Um, what, what do you think about that? Is, it, is this like, is a vest something folks really need to start thinking about? Or is it kind of like if, if you're tracking steps, then you're already one step ahead of the bread line there? I think where it could have more utility is for, because some people will do it where they replace the weight they've lost. And there's some people I've heard who have got like 20 kilo weighted vests on, Mike. 20 kilos is no joke to be walking around in and like wearing yeah. for a long period of time. So I was very systematic with my use. So I've mine's at 10 kilos. I don't think I could realistically want to go heavier than that. And I started with a five kilo and I essentially just uh, kind of uh, weight time using it basically was my way of modulating its use. So initially I was using it for a number of hours of my day and a percentage of my steps. And then I slowly increased that. And then I transitioned half my day, five kilos, half my day, 10 kilos, transitioned more to the 10 kilos and now so this I, was an effort. So yeah, I, I definitely thought it through. Some of it was learning on the go because I was like, yeah, I'll just wear the vest all day. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think that I kind of thought it through. And then from about 5 p.m., so most of my evening, I sit down and I don't wear it because if you're sitting down, there's no point wearing it. Um, Do you wear it during training or no? Not, not during training. Um, I think that would be pretty awful, to be honest. Sure. <laughs> and I also wonder if much more than 10 kilos... If you're doing a lot of steps, I could imagine that placing quite a bit of, I don't know, stress on the kind of the knees, the joints, something might feel a bit off there. Faster muscle fibers start to get into play to make you walk, especially uphill. And then it's kind of like, what is the stimulus to fatigue ratio yeah. as far as calories burned? There's definitely a fatigue cost, no doubt about it. Like my traps ache quite regularly. Even now I've been using it for like months on end. Yeah. Uh, like they're just tired and just a stress psychological burden of having it on like there was, I had a, a funeral to attend and I was like, I'm meant to be wearing this weighted vest. I can't wear the weighted vest. What am I going to do here? And uh, if you are kind of irrational and you don't think things through, you could get quite stressed about those sort of events sure. as well. Sure. Uh, so what I was going to say is that I think personally, a big utility might be for more sedentary folk or people who are smaller. So they just have a lower number of calories that they're burning. So maybe for the steps they do do get the weighted vest on and just wear it for that period of time or to just give them a little bit more calorie burn so they're not eating such small scraps of food i think that might be where at the moment the, a big application can be but for like someone like myself who works from home and i can wear any clothes i like and i have a standing desk and i can just be like on my feet all the time it's easy to implement whether or not i think i definitely will use it next time 
I, I don't know because I think some of the diet fatigue factor is just inevitable and it's almost whatever amount of food you're on, it's going to kind of suck. <laughs> More food's always better, but it, it's still relative. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, you said folk, and that reminded me of complete total tangent. My wife and I have been rewatching the Lord of the Rings series. And, you know, there's quite a few folks that are not a native uh, English speakers or British English speakers, and they do the British accent. Steve, you've seen the, the all of the movies, the um, Lord of the Rings trilogy? I think I have. I wanted, I just was listening to your Q&A and I, the intro, you were just saying this. So this is funny that <laughs> you're, you're saying it. But no, I have, I think, but not for a long time. I'd like to rewatch them, but it's a marathon. Can <laughs> you remember if their accents were decent or were they just total shit? I don't remember them being that bad, but I'm not like, sure. A lot of people in the U.S., the more intellectual folks, far uh, intellectual, they'll say that, well, it's ridiculous when an American actor does a British accent. And of course, to British people, it sounds fake. But that's bullshit on face value because Hugh Jackman is total native Australian. Oh, fucking hey, nanny talks like that. For real, regular. Hello, Australians. Don't take offense. Just a joke. Well, Australians never take offense to them. You know what I'm saying? That they don't have the capacity to be offended. Um, <laughs> but uh, the... The thing is, it's his American accent and like Wolverine is, is legitimately flawless. Like I had absolutely no idea he was Australian until years later. I was like, what the fuck? I heard him in an award show and I was like, is he faking an Australian accent? That's pretty goddamn good. And it's like, he's from Australia. I didn't even know. So like, there's gotta be American actors that do the British accent to where you're like, bah, he could just be from Leeds. Fuck if I know. Uh, no, the, is that, I, I think is that, that definitely is. Yeah. I don't think it's just no Americans can talking in english accent yeah. <laughs> i think that's yeah. just i don't know english people being like pompous sure are you really american and just fake the english accent are you based out of memphis <laughs> tennessee or something like that That'd i wish be, i was you know, don't say that you don't wish <laughs> um all right so sleep relaxation recovery you mentioned sleep i want to know if you did anything specific to stay psychologically relaxed and i also wanted to know uh, to follow up on your sleep question did you do what is your layered strategy because i know you have something pretty intense for sleep to make sure you're checking all the boxes tell us uh, a little bit about how you approach sleep and relaxation during this prep and kind of in general and, and tips you may want some folks uh, listening to to be like oh okay this is really something i should be doing because i've i'm in prep right now and my sleep has been excellent uh and uh, i've been using a couple of decent strategies to keep it so but i'm, I'm curious as to what your sleep approach is and your relaxation approach Cool. I'll start with uh, the sleep. So probably the biggest thing that I do is just, and it sounds, it, to me, it sounds ridiculous, but it's funny how many people don't do it, uh, is have like a, a bedtime and a wake time. So making sure I'm going to bed within a half an hour window uh, and then waking up. I don't actually have an alarm, which is something I'm lucky I don't have to have, but uh, I wake, normally wake up like 20 minutes before my alarm. It's like just naturally. So kind of fall within these wake and sleep windows which is nice and then if i if the sun's not out in the morning and i'm normally taking the dog out i try and get some sunlight early basically well, this is so, london which means it's never out <laughs> yeah. say the sun's not out <laughs> so i have this sad light so my seasonal affective disorder light on my on my desk mm. which has 10k uh 10k lux i think uh 10,000 lux which Damn. kind of yeah, it basically emits a light that is similar to the daylight. So that helps kind of switch things on, as it were, in terms of getting my day, uh, sorry, my light rhythms matched to what they would be if I was awake and the sun was up. Uh, and then in the evening, I will like 
dim the lights. I'll put on my orange blue light blockers, which people have probably seen now and then, uh, sure. which uh, obviously block the blue light. So melatonin secretion is kind of coming when it normally naturally would because we wouldn't have TV screens and stuff. And I can actually watch Netflix and chill and actually relax before bed and watch it with the, the blue light blockers on, which I've been using for years, actually, um, which seem to be helpful. So I kind of match my light rhythms to allow myself to be like more awake and then more sleepful. Um, and I'll be outside during the kind of middle of the day when the sun's at its highest and you're getting the most of that at some point as well. Walking the dog again, um, it's a good excuse to get out. Then with food, there's something I do with that is just basically not stuffing myself before bed, which is easy during prep. Uh, if you are struggling with sleep though, sometimes like a higher glycemic food, uh, carbohydrate, sorry, can help like initiate sleep. Uh, but I, I don't tend to use that. I just kind of try not to eat too much before bed. That tends yeah, to help. There's a problem there where the hygienists can put you in a lethargic sort of sleep state. But once they start digesting, you get that like boost of energy and thermogenesis and you wake up sweaty and like full of energy uh, two hours later. I think it's good for napping. But for me, that whole eating a lot before sleep thing never really worked out that well. Um, I will say, though, on the other end, going to sleep hungry is just completely untenable for me because then I just don't sleep. I just stay awake and just am um, just like pissed. Yeah. Do you uh, did you struggle with any bedtime hunger or do you have a pretty good strategy for how to next that out? So. It seems that protein doesn't seem to have such a negative effect on sleep, at least from research. And I've done like Kazian and like Greek yogurts before bed for ages. Uh, so that helps slow digesting. Kazian like keeps hunger at bay pretty well. So yeah, I have been doing like a Greek yogurt before bed every night, it's like 20 to 40 grams of protein through that. And it's not a huge amount of food either. So that's why I tend to use to abate any of that and then yeah in terms of i guess relaxation techniques i'm trying to think how they never come to mind a lot of them are like just habitual like you can just like let them happen through your day so i don't tend to work later like within the last two hours of bed i try not to work try not to check emails kind of general due diligence like that try to just sit on the sofa kind of chill out watch tv might do a hot shower like within the last like half an hour before bed, hour before bed, that sometimes can help. But normally that's if it's actually hot, but if it's uh, my bedroom's cool, if your bedroom's like a cave, that really promotes good sleep. So cool, dark and that's and quiet. something you also do, right? So yeah, I make sure to have the windows open. Like if I can have blackout blinds, I have blackout blinds. Uh, I have actually- What's the one... temperature roughly of your uh, bedroom? I don't know. <laughs> I'm 19 or something? Maybe, yeah, something on that. Um, I just know I leave the windows open in that room and Charlotte's always cold. <laughs> but I'm like, no, this is great. I sleep well yes. when it's nice and cold. Males and females definitely have a sleeping optimum temperature asymmetry. Yeah. Uh, a white noise machine actually really helped me because oh, cool. we're right by a railway and that with the window open is just like a nightmare. And there's people on the streets, fucking London. So uh, there's drunks out there. <laughs> so the white noise machine has been great, actually. That that really helped. That's awesome. Do you yeah. have a setting? Do you like whales or some shit? Or... <laughs> you can you can do some weird stuff. Okay. Mine's just like. Psh, oh, like, solid. Yeah, yeah just like, like a broken air way. conditioner. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Only one uh, one other thing. Sorry, Mike. Was mm -hmm. please, um, please. I do magnesium. I, I supplement with that anyway, but I have that before bed that might have some marginal promoting sleep promoting effects. Um, I recently implemented L-theanine uh, before bed, 
400 milligrams of that. That actually really seemed to help quite a bit. I was surprised that it helped that much. Uh, and then ashwagandha is something I've been using throughout prep, which does have pretty decent evidence to suggest it can help with like anxiety and stress. Um, I've never noticed anything acutely, but maybe it's built up and uh, it has just generally been helping. Uh, and then I was going to try that too. I, so, so it's a well idea. I saw it on Jackson Piaz's one of his research summaries. Yeah. I was going to try it, but then I started the, the special sports supplement part of my program that makes me super anxious. And I ended up, I'm like a week and a half into it. I don't feel terrible. Usually this oh, is we'll the worst see. possible fucking time. So I'm like, ah, fuck it. So I'm, I'm okay. I think, but you know, maybe you'll see a listing in the paper if I've been admitted to a mental <laughs> institution. So too, too early. Did you, have you noticed when, how long have you been taking ashwagandha for? I feel like Joe Rogan asking these <laughs> I think eight weeks. I know uh, I've spoken to Greg Potter quite a lot about it and he has always said like the studies are generally ran for 12 weeks and we don't actually know if the safety of at long-term ashwagandha use. So he's always said like, do it for 12 weeks, take a couple of weeks off. So I have only been using it like eight weeks because I was trying to span it across as much of the hard sure. part of prep. <laughs> um, were you nervous for your show? Do you get nervous for shows? Talk to oh. us about that. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. For the warm-up show, I'm so glad I did it because I was bad. Uh, like, What is bad? What do you mean? Like impacting sleep. Uh, for sure, for a few nights, thinking about thinking it. Thinking about the show. Yeah, thinking about the show. Um, like the almost yeah, like the three nights before the show, I was thinking about it. On show day, I was like, uh, I don't know. Like uh, if I put out my hand, how nervous are you? I'd be like a bit like just generally having just general anxiety. I'm bad for that sort of thing anyway. I think I'm just that sort of like driven that way. Uh, and then on stage actually we were pumping up and I was getting my like glaze as they do. Uh, and I was talking to the guy doing it and apparently they'd called my class up. I think I told you this actually, uh, they, they called up my class and I was there just getting my glaze on. And I was like, where's everyone gone? And they were like, you meant to be on stage. So I ran on stage that probably didn't help. Uh, and then I was like, my legs were shaking. Like, I don't know if you've ever had it where you're like trying to like the quads to contract them for a front relax and things like this. It's, there's a bit of a kind of not an art to it, but it's like, it's not the easiest thing to do and to keep them on. So yeah, my, I just couldn't control them. They were just shaking. And I was like, damn it. My, they just look kind of fat when you do that. Cause the they judges just don't like to see that either. Cause they're like, this isn't a winner. Like you gotta, yeah. there's something to the showmanship of it. Yeah, for sure. So that was really annoying. Um, but having done that, the second show was much better. It was far calmer. My legs were doing far less of this shaky stuff. Uh, and I managed to control my nerves a bit better. So I'm hoping this one on Saturday, I'll be as poised as anything. I'll be a statue. <laughs> sure, sure. I hope so. So this has already kind of been answered, but um, you didn't, when you came into that last show that you won, you didn't believe you were going to win, correct? But did you believe you weren't going to win? And how important do you think believing in yourself is? Uh, not in general, because clearly you got to believe in something or you keep doing it for long enough. But you know, like on show day and show stage presence and even in the final weeks leading up, um, like, you know, I, I'm not one to 
believe, you know, irrational or at least unfounded things. So I don't tell myself, you know, my next show, I'm going to win. That's certainly the hope. But I find myself more often than not lately telling myself, like, I'm a dangerous motherfucker. I wouldn't want to compete against me. So, you know, everyone there is on fucking notice and I'm coming to fucking do business. And that attitude helps me not become super nervous and not get down on myself and not think of, oh, I should just scrap this prep and quit and stuff like that. You know, like our worst thoughts and our worst times. Do you have uh, any any uh, any ways you've been thinking about stuff or do you just kind of do the process and then let the uh, chips fall where they may? What do you think? I'd say I'm pretty bad for negative self-talk in that I don't big myself up much. I don't think I'm amazing. I generally maybe find that that helps me push myself harder because I feel like I, I need to do everything to get anything out of things. But I, I do sometimes that can hurt confidence. So I have found having, particularly having people in my corner to like show pictures to, and then they give me props, that gives me quite a bit of confidence. So like last time when I was uh, into 2017, like I can distinctly remember Broderick and consulting a bit with him and him being like, no, you're looking like really good here. And he gave me some like confidence boosting. It helped me a lot, actually just mm -hmm. having someone who I admire and respect give like, actually say you look you look decent here because otherwise i am my own worst enemy in that regard and i always think i'm i'm like i don't know i, I say i'm like an ugly bodybuilder i'm just like not built for this i don't have the structure my previous kind of history isn't there for it uh so i think there is a balance to it both uh, it's kind of that confidence and arrogance thing um and i don't think i'll ever be at risk of like being truly arrogant and think i'm going to win but definitely placing well in my that warm-up show gave me a bit of a boost and i do think stage presence is very important you don't want to be up on stage and just be like you don't want to be there or be like half dead to the world or i don't know look like you've already lost it before you've given a try mm -hmm. so i really do go up on stage and i'm like i want the judges to notice me i want to have a good time i want to like the audience to enjoy me being on stage and be like that guy looks like he's really enjoying his time on stage so i do try and like bring out a good smile bring out good energy um and don't really focus on like like thinking i'm gonna win or but i definitely now i have more confidence that i'm gonna be challenging um and i kind of i like thinking like you do where you're like i'm a dangerous individual and i'm gonna be like challenging people and people should be worried about me stepping on stage and like thinking that people might be a bit worried about it. It gives you a bit of like fire in your belly to like go and do yeah. the damn thing and really show them what you've got. Yeah, 100% Steve. All right. Did you eat anything special after your show victory or was it just more oats? So it's funny because the guy... Like, you know, the people behind the scenes who are running the show, they'd like chit chat to you as you're there. And so he was like asking everyone, what's your post-show cheat meal going to be? And he was like, what are you going to have a burger or what? <laughs> yeah. And I was, I just joked to him. I was like, oh, I don't know. It depends how I do maybe. And uh, I just came home and I had my Greek yogurt. And I think I had like a, a small bowl of like some American cereal that I'd bought 
because I was like, I actually need some carbs and I'm going to treat myself to a bit of this America. It was some checks, like blueberry checks. Um, I wanted to try them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, I feel like we both come to our respective countries and eat the worst fucking <laughs> Yeah, shit. probably. I'm like, English breakfast. And you're like, well, nobody does that here. Nobody <laughs> even eats English breakfast here. And I, you know, yeah, it's terrible. Steve checks. We have an infinite number of cereal. But I'm not going to, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to judge your cereal mistakes. Um <laughs> Okay, so you had a bit of cereal, but it fit your macros, so you really didn't have a cheat meal. Yeah, I didn't have a cheat meal. Um, the, the, I think, I think it probably could be okay uh, for some people, and it probably could be okay for me. But once I'm in that mindset of kind of the straight and narrow, I've got the blinkers on, I'm in prep. I don't want these rocks of the boat sending me in other directions, and I don't want the sense of feeling any sort of guilt. I want to feel like. I won that show. Now let's show why I won it and bring my ultimately bring my best to the finals. Is a cheat meal going to make me better? No, it's not. And it could throw me off for the worse. Are other people going to be cheating after this show and they're going to come to finals? Maybe. And they're going to be worse off than I am. And I'm going to have that up my sleeve. Whereas they're going to be like thinking a week out from their show, why the fuck did I do that cheat meal that led to a week yeah. off? And then I need this extra week. Whereas... I've taken every single day and used it productively towards bringing my best. Yeah. So it's basically like business mode. It's yeah. like when we're in business mode, the mode doesn't turn off until the business is done, that sort of thing. For sure. And that brings me to my last question, Steve. What is your plan now? Because the way I see it, if I could take a few guesses, you're already real lean, but you could maybe get a little bit leaner. And then you have, gee, you know, I think based on how you described it, another six to eight weeks left of prep, maybe. So if that really is the case, what is your planning as far as high and low days, caloric load, cardio? How much more pushing are you, do you have left uh, versus not? You know, I remember catching in Australia, I caught Eric Helms during one of his insane natty contest runs were like, I don't know if I think four months he was doing like a show every three weeks or something. <laughs> and he was actually, like he said, look, I'm, I'm very hungry. I'm very tired, but I'm eating mostly at maintenance because like, I remember seeing him in the gym. He actually stripped down to impromptu pose against uh, Marvin, Marvin, the Martian, who is you know, the leanest man of all time or whatever. And Eric came up to me after and he's like, Two things. First, I didn't look that bad next to him. And second, what the fuck is up with that guy? It doesn't make any sense. Like, I, he looked lean in pictures, but then I, in real life, it's like, there's parts of you that aren't supposed to be parts of a human. But that all being said, I remember Eric uh, was eating close to maintenance, sometimes over maintenance, sometimes under, and kind of just flirting with a little bit more fat loss progressively with each show. But at that point, you're so close to any more losses or just muscle loss, especially as a natural it kind of begs the question of what is really, are you still imposing the same kind of deficit from now until these last shows that you were from your start of prep to now or no? Yeah, so um, absolutely agreed. Uh, and that's actually part of the reason I started using the refeeds was to just slow my rate of loss. That was kind of my strategy. So like bring in two to slow the rate of loss. Maybe then I could bring in three. Maybe then I'll just average the week and just be in a small deficit and close that gap so that I'm not risking losing at a rate of loss that is leading to muscle loss and really taking care of training performance to kind of give me key insights into that. Very much look at it like a tightrope. You can't push too fast because you're balancing so many things uh, when you're at this stage. Uh, the cool thing I have 
and and I completely agree with you. Unfortunately, I think I can get a bit leaner, uh, or maybe fortunately, I've got a bit more runway, uh, depending on how you look at it. For so I've got this finals on Saturday. This week will have acted pretty much as a deload and diet break, so it will have given me a little bit more time off for off the gas, and then I'll be entering week one of a mesocycle. So nothing too crazy. Should be able to hold performance quite well. And then I'll have another peak week. So I'll probably uh, kind of back off a little bit, at least towards the end of that next week. So training is not going to get super hard over the next kind of couple of weeks where I've got the shows. So I think I can push up a little bit harder coming out of this kind of deload diet break peak week into the next peak week again, where I'll be coming back up. So it'll be like, I can kind of have those hard days after this show to maybe bring out basically the rear of my glutes a little bit more to get that sharpness and then pump the brakes and fill, fill back up for that show. And then there's a show the weekend after that. So again, I'm, I'm probably just going to be around maintenance for that period of time. So long as I haven't spilled too hard or anything, which I don't think I will. And doesn't happen too much in natural guys in the same way, because we're not playing with as many variables. And then I think it's like a couple of weeks until that final show. And then it will be a case of just making sure to run that tightrope and not risk losing muscle tissue because whilst kind of being ultimately super conditioned is very important you don't want to lose kind of your shape and fullness and all the other factors that are going to score you points and I certainly don't and I don't think I can afford to on my physique either so that's probably how it will look um kind of there's because there's so many shows there's lots of maintenance so it will look like some very low, like very low, some lower periods of time where I can dig a little bit more and then refuel back up for shows. And then, yeah, hopefully be on a close to maintenance leading into if I do get to the worlds uh, at the end of November. So then the the gap of deficit is pretty small marginal and then peaking is quite easy because you're almost looking pretty decent a lot of the time because you're not running on empty. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think like when you're not close to your upcoming shows a week and a half out, you can push it for three to five days, really dig that deficit, then dig your way back out of it with sort of higher days, refeed days, correspondingly it'll peak you for your shows well. And then after you do it again and again and again, and I think actually you could, you could make some really good improvements like that over the next six to eight weeks. So yeah, that's kind of, hopefully I want to like, is that like elite condition you want to bring weight? It's like Marvin condition. Like that's like, if I can get to that, and I'm like, I think I can. Let's try it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I think of a lot of folks, you have that ability because, you know, you've already shown that even off season, you have like weird striations in places you're not supposed to have them. So it's definitely looking forward to how you look, Steve. Um, definitely. Super, super big fan. Was super happy for your win. Major congratulations. And uh, enjoy these next few shows. And then and then after, you're going to do what a... Uh, some mass phasing through uh through the winter holidays or something like that yeah for sure it'll be uh very much like gaining it at least a, like a one percent rate of gain uh per week uh initially even more than that just to recover some body fat feel a little bit okay. more normal gain like five to ten percent of my body weight back probably towards the more five percent because i generally am feeling better leaner and i think my sure. kind of body fat set points relatively low compared to some people yes so yes. yeah but anyway have that kind of rebound recovery period train with lots of volume and then back off probably around the christmas time chill out a little bit and then enter a nice again exactly like my off season if i can have another off season like i've had 
I'll be a very happy man. And I, I think it's only going to get better, to be honest. Very cool. Very cool. Steve, those are all the questions I have. Awesome. Uh, thanks for letting me come on here and interrogate you. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to yourself, Mike. And I know, hopefully the listeners know, but a lot of the progress I've been able to make and the physique that I have, I definitely attribute that a lot to your teachings and the principles you put out and the education you put out for everyone. Uh, like I got to spend, I felt like I got to spend a lot of time with you like a, few, a number of years ago, just really being a bit of a student and digesting everything. And I continue to. So like, I just want to say a massive thank you. And this is a very humbling experience being interviewed by you and you to be a kind of a fan. Oh. It's a bit of a weird feeling because uh, yeah, you're definitely someone I look up to big time, Mike. Well, Steve, the feeling is a 100% mutual. So uh, yeah, I, I would say best of luck, but you have a great plan. You don't need luck. So do your best. Yeah, we see where the cards fall this weekend and then where everything else is, I'll, I'll show up to you sharing. And yeah, thank you so much, Mike. We'll have to get you on and I'll be doing a QA and a probably uh, no doubt in a few weeks time and we can touch right. base and guys thank you so much for listening uh, we'll catch you soon so i'm steve hall founder of revive stronger and a coach of revive stronger my name is Pascal floor i'm the co-owner of revive stronger and also a coach of course Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. It's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.